My assignment today is to continue this series in Genesis. And my original intent was to wrap up Genesis today. And then we were going to do two weeks of kind of the missional purposes of CityGate. Talk about why we want to go spread the gospel with word and deed. Let you know what we do across the street and around the world. And I was going to really take the subject of Joseph and kind of wrap and put a bow on Genesis to prepare us for our next uh, series. But the Holy Spirit just wouldn't allow me to rush this thing. So instead of trying to take and put three weeks worth of sermons in 25 minutes, I'm just going to take my time and believe in the sovereignty of God and continue the Genesis series um, as we move forward through um, our missional purposes. We're going to talk about missions next week uh, for two weeks. And uh, two weeks from this Sunday, Jose Diaz is going to be a, one of our guest speakers. And he has, for those of you from your CCM roots, you remember him as being the teenager that would pray and, and, and want to preach. And he always had these dreams of being on stage with Kim Walker and Jason Upton. And he blew the shofar and all of that. And you know what? God has honored his request and he has been on worship teams. He has been on the same stage as Kim Walker. Walker and Jason Upton, and he has preached last year, he preached in 17 countries of the world, and he's a product of this home church, and I'm excited about that, so, uh, but last Sunday, we kind of had two weeks worth of Abraham, and Abraham was this, just to get everybody caught up, is Abraham's this covenant man that God makes a covenant with. And he promises him he's going to be the father of a nation. He tells him to go to Canaan and trust him with everything that he has. And he's over 70 years of age. He's about 75 when he hears the word and he begins this journey. And he finally gets to Canaan. And when he gets to Canaan, you would think that the windows of heaven would start to open. And God would fulfill all the promises because he finally got there. And we talked the week before about sometimes you have to stay in difficult, challenging circumstances for an extended period of time for you to gain the influence for people to see God working in you. See, they had to, Canaan had to learn that there was a man of covenant living in the land. And for 10 years he lives as an example, childless. He finally, his wife takes things into her own hands, concocts this scheme and uh, asks him, do you want another wife, one that's younger, one that can have children? I'm older and I can't have children. What do you think, Abraham? And he said, amen. And, you know, and we, we, uh, we know the story that uh, Hagar becomes his wife. He has a son named Ishmael. Ishmael is 100% Abraham's son. And God requires him as, as a teenager. By this time, God has fulfilled his covenant promise with Sarah to produce a child through her womb at 90 years of age. And Abraham is closing in on 100. And they have a child named Isaac. And God tells Abraham for the first time, trust me with your children. And Abraham has to take his wife, Hagar, and his first son, Ishmael, and tell them that they got to go live somewhere else. And he hands them a, a bottle of water, knowing that the bottle of water could never sustain them across the desert. But God said, if you trust me, I'll take care of them. 
And sure enough, when the water bottle ran out, there was an angel that appeared. And God fulfilled every bit of his promise with Ishmael of making a pr 12 princes come from his, him being a nation. But the promise of covenant was through Isaac. Isaac grew up and we, we understood that God, through the law of representation, God was going to do something in the Old Testament that He was going to give us an example of that He was going to actually do in the New Testament. And He tells him, take your son up on, the, on Mount Moriah and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. Now we know God doesn't accept human sacrifices, so this had to have a point and a purpose. The one thing that is incredible is that Abraham responded with faith. And he takes his son to Mount Moriah. Now we know the story. He doesn't have to offer his son. But thousands of years later, God the Father would take his son to the same mountain, put a cross on his back and offer him as a sacrifice that his perfect blood would redeem all mankind. And so we find that last week I preached about Isaac coming back down the mountain and he grows up. And he grows up and he needs a wife. And... His, uh, Abraham's servant, Eleazar, represented God the Holy Spirit. That You realize that God the Father sent His Son. His Son gives His life, resurrects from the dead, ascends back to the Father. And at the same time, the dissension of the Holy Spirit falls upon the first century church. And from that point on, the Holy Spirit has been drawing the bride to the bridegroom. And he goes and gets a bride. And her name is Rebecca. We talked about her watering camels. And one thing that if you missed last week, let me tell you this. Tell your neighbor right now, don't settle for the bracelets in the ring. Tell. Because a lot of times the church does good things. And in doing good things, we accept the temporary blessings of, of an almighty God instead of building the forever relationship through covenant with God. Because he gave her two bracelets for watering his camels. He gave her two gold bracelets in the ring and an invitation. You can keep the gold bracelets in the ring and stay here, or you can take the gold bracelets in the ring and come with me, and you can become the bride of the sun. And she chooses to be the bride of the sun, and in so choosing, she owns the camels with ten, with that were mounted with ten loads of treasure. She owns it all. That's where we left off. Now, this week we're going to talk about Isaac, Rebecca, but now we're going to switch gears and talk about their children. These guys named Jacob and Esau. Have you ever understood that sometimes when you start participating in the plan of God, it's different than the picture you have in your head? you got a barren woman that hasn't had the capabilities of, get, uh, of conceiving a child. They pray, God, please, please, please let me conceive. And sure enough, they conceive to have twins. This is where I have to begin the first teaching here today is that inside of her womb was absolute conflict. She thinks there's something wrong and thinks she's going to die. She's praying to God saying there's something wrong. These kids are doing somersaults. It feels like they're having wrestling matches inside of me. What is going on? Can any ladies in the house bear witness with sometimes... Carrying a child is not the funnest job in the world. Can somebody say amen? amen. <laughs> Men, aren't you glad God didn't choose us? <laughs> amen. Yes. There would be three people on planet Earth. 
three people. We can't be able to count them on one hand. Well, she gets so concerned about this that she prays and God responds in Genesis 25, 22 to 23 and says this. <coughs> the children struggled together within her and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Let me address something that the modern church doesn't want to address anymore. It's called conflict. Matter of fact, most Christians, not just Christians, but most people have an idea that the correct way to deal with conflict is to avoid it at all cost. That is absolutely false. You cannot avoid conflict. The Bible says that it is impossible to avoid conflict. So it is, should not be our teaching to try to avoid it, but we should teach the godly response of character and integrity of how to live through it. See, when we're trying to avoid conflict, you think in your personal relationships, when you have conflict with somebody and it deteriorates the communication to this thing called arguing, you think your problem is arguing. No, that is the communication style you have chosen to make you, make you understand there is a conflict going on that you have to resolve. And so we want to try to fix our arguing instead of fixing the real issue of the conflict going on in our lives. And so it is important for us to understand how to resolve conflict righteously. Because for the first three years of my marriage, I understood that when I got angry or finally had enough, I've never been a yeller or a screamer, that if I ever got passionate, put on my preacher voice. This was before I was a preacher. I didn't even know I had a preacher voice. <laughs> Michelle would tell me all the time, turn down the microphone in your, in your neck. But I found out that if I got in my preacher voice, she quit talking. And I thought, this is a wonderful way to end a con uh, an argument. <laughs> the problem is, is we never resolved anything. And what happens in our personal lives, whether it's with friends, family, business partners, whether it's relationships with spouses, if you don't deal with conflict and all you deal with is trying to shut down the negative response through arguing and things like that, you end up with a lump in the carpet. And you have to pretend it ain't even there, even though you can see it. For the first three years of our, our marriage, me and Michelle resolved no conflict. We just quit arguing. <clears throat> Left unchecked and unresolved, it would have led to my divorce. Because eventually, the carpet would have overtaken, the lump in the carpet would have overtaken the living room and then would have moved over into the bedroom. And it would have overtaken our intimacy. And then when it did that, it would have destroyed our communication. And all of a sudden, we would have found ourselves going one way and the other going another. See, the Apostle Paul tells us, hey, hey, Pastor, tell me, before you leave conflict, how did y'all get, we, we decided to have awkward conversations. We've been married 30 years. A lot changes in 30 years. Your body. 
And I, you say, Pastor, you sound bitter about that. I am. <laughs> Have you seen Michelle? She looks like she's 19 years old. I look like I'm 50, look like I'm 60. And I got a problem with me and the Lord in this situation that we're going to have to resolve today. <laughs> I mean, it makes me mad. See, when you don't have the courage to deal with conflict and the awkwardness of situations, you don't have true communications. And so we had to talk about our personal life, our physical life, and everything, that, how we shared our life with hundreds and hundreds of people. We had to do all of that and communicate with awkward conversations so we could get healthy enough to move to the next place. That awkwardness provided a health, not only between her and I, but now in our children. You wouldn't even imagine what we talk about over dinner. It could be anything. You know, because my kids understood that there is an openness with us that we could talk about awkward things to prepare them for the conflict that's going to arise in their life because we can't keep them from it, but we can teach them how to deal with it. And I remember that one awkward conversation that I had with my kids. Now, most of the time I throw my kids under the bus, but they get the superhero treatment today. Because I think this is one of the smartest questions I've ever heard in my entire vocational ministry. My kids were hanging out with friends and they were using some language that I considered to be inappropriate for people of their age. And so my sons decided, I don't think it's that bad. Let's ask dad. Dad, what makes a cuss word a cuss word? I said, I don't know. But I'm going to find out. And I realized it isn't what you think. Because some things that we consider to be cuss words really had a life-saving attribute to. Like that little S word. I'm not telling you to go use it or call somebody that. But did you know it saved people's lives? But because what happened was is they would put fertilizer in containers and put it in the belly of ships. And the methane gas would build up and blow the ship up and kill all the sailors. And they found out it's coming from the boxes of fertilizer downstairs. And so what they did was they took a spray can and they put the S word on it, which means ship high in transit. Mitch, don't put it down there where we all blow up. Put it on the deck so it'll have ventilation. And it saves sailors' life. And I found that out. And I told my kids. And they said, can I use it? I said, no. <laughs> What's the point of all that, Pastor? You're, you're chasing rabbits. No, the reason that conflict is so important to learn how to resolve is the Apostle Paul says this in the book of Romans. So I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. When I'm so old that when I went to seminary and went through my seminary process, they made me quote King James Version. The King James Version says, I know to do right and yet I still do evil. Wouldn't you love for this to have been pre-salvation? That this was Saul 
on the road to Damascus and once he met Jesus, everything turned out okay. But this isn't Saul pre-Damascus road. It's the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the, book, to the Roman church saying, I still struggle with a conflict inside of me that there's a war going on that my spirit wants to lead me one way, but my flesh wants to do another thing. And if you don't resolve that conflict, you will be driven by your emotions and your flesh and you will find yourself in places of destruction consistently over and over and over again. Somebody say amen. That's Esau. Let me introduce you to Esau. When they are born, they're the exact opposites. Esau is going to grow up to be a rugged mountain man of a man. He's going to be strong. He's going to be skilled with weapons of war. He's going to know how to shoot a bow. He's going to know how to handle a sword. He's going to be a man's man. Think Grizzly Adams. That's him. His name literally means he was born with a fur coat. Literally. He was so hairy at birth. Now that's hairy. When your mom goes, mmm. Dude needs to shave this week. He's like two weeks old. But then she has a more petite man. And I know guys, all of us can't be six foot three. You know, I'm not six foot three. I'm not. Anybody ever looked at Pastor Matt? I mean, I mean, that guy, he, he's a man's man, athlete. And then I look, same way I do with the Lord, with shall not age, and I look up and say, God, why not me? I'm your guy. I'm five foot nine, down, down to 179 pounds. But it makes me mad that he can go and eat anything and drink a soda. And I'm like, man, that would be 18 pounds I would have to lose right there. (laughs) But Jacob was a smaller man. And ladies, I'm going to help you. The only time it's good for you to use the word smooth when talking about a man is if they're throwing their best line at you and you go, man, that is smooth talking right there. But if you're talking about our skin, not good. No man wants to be known as smooth when it's referring to your skin. (laughs) The Bible calls him weak, smooth, and dwelled among the tents with the ladies. On the outside, you would have thought that everything that God was going to entrust through covenant would come through the man that looked like a mountain and was fearless and would do anything and can protect it with bows and spears. But God never looks on the cover of the book, Matt. He looks at the toughness on the inside. Now, he's just as tough on the inside. He is far greater a man of God than I am. And I say that as a proud father, watching him and Alex do incredible things with our youth. And I am here to tell you, I love those boys with all of my heart. But it doesn't keep me from, doesn't keep me from making fun of them a little bit in my sermons. So, but God doesn't look on your present condition, he looks at the potential that is residing inside of you because he had a choice between a mountain man and a sissy and he's going to say, I'm going to take the sissy once I develop him. Now I want you to tell your neighbor, both of them have character flaws. 
See, we think that once you have, once, once, if God chooses to use you, you lose all character flaws. No, you don't. Let's talk about Esau's for a minute because I guarantee you some in this room, if not everybody in this room, has some characteristics of Esau. Esau sells two-thirds of his inheritance, everything that he has through birthright, for a bowl of beans. <laughs> Have you ever met anybody like that that made every decision based upon how they feel and their emotions? We're going to handle some victim mentality today. And that's the first thing you've got to break is you can't trust your emotions. Okay, because they'll tell you you're always going to be this way. You're never going to find the victory. And, and that's a lie. But as long as you keep playing the record, you'll keep dancing to the same tune. And you'll be praying the whole time, God, give me a new dance. Change the record. That's a good word right there. That just started coming. Boom. You say, Pat, this dude, have you ever met somebody that was so moved by their emotions that nothing normal ever happened to them? It was always catastrophic. You say, Pastor, do tell. Here we go. I get people all the time that call me up and they say, Pastor, you won't believe it. I'm like, that's the key right there. You won't believe it. I, and I think to myself, I've heard everything at least once, at least I hope. And then they go, I was driving over the bridge. Okay. You won't believe it, Pastor. I got right in the middle of the bridge. I couldn't go over it or under it. And all of a sudden, a crocodile jumped out of the Caloosahatchee River. It jumped 75 feet in the air and grabbed my right tire and shook it. It run through my car, skipped my leg up, and jumped back in the river. And I go, you had a flat tire? Yes. <laughs> Nothing is ever simple. It's always something catastrophic. <laughs> That's Esau. Dude, you've been out in the woods. You missed one meal. You're not starving to death. But every, anybody ever raised a teenager? They come in and go, where's dinner? I gotta, I'm starving. I'm starving. I can't do it no more. And I, I, I'm just starving. That's Esau because he had the mentality that if he was so hungry, he had to be starving to death and that his birthright wasn't going to be any good because he was going to die right here. Dude, you had enough strength to carry your body in the house and now you starving to death can barely put the spoon of beans in your mouth. And he sells everything for a bowl of beans. Oh, that's, we could be very judgmental on Esau right here, but how many of us have traded valuable things for things that were temporary and flesh-driven? Our bowl of beans. We could solve all kinds of issues right now if we just could give back our bowl of beans. But you also see the character flaws of Jacob. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if his brother was redemptive and said, Esau, you're not dying? Look, man, I'm cooking right now. I got a bowl of beans. But you see his greed come to the surface. And he sees his brother in a vulnerable position and he tells his brother, I tell you what I'll do. I got beans. Will you sell me your birthright? What would have happened if he had been generous? How many of us have been driven by success? The dollar, whatever it may be. There's nothing wrong with making money. we got good godly people that have done wonderfully for themselves and they extend it into the kingdom and I'm thankful for that. So it's not about the money. It's about what are you willing to do to get it. 
And sometimes, haven't we all made those decisions? We got blinded by something we wanted, and it become more than what we really had to pay in our character. And maybe we stretched the truth here, or we maybe didn't tell all of the truth there, and we find ourselves in a compromising position. How many of, we've all said that we were Jacob or Esau at one time in our life. How many of us can say, I've, I've, been, I've made decisions that I wish I wouldn't have made, and it hurt people. And I, I, I'm a Jacob too. Can we say amen? amen? Yeah. But the deception doesn't stop there with his birthright. It moves over into his blessing. See, his dad gets, gets this condition that renders him blind. And he thinks he's going to die. Before you think you're going to die, check with the Lord. Because I, last I heard, he's the only one that knows. Because you'll make some decisions based upon you thinking you're going to die that aren't the wisest in the world. And he's going to go ahead and bless Esau. And he tells him, go hunt for me. Kill me a deer. I love the way that you cook my deer. I want you to cook my deer and bring it to me and I'm going to speak a blessing over you. And his, and, uh, his wife, Rebecca, Esau's mother, hears it. She favors Jacob because of the prophecy. Here's a, here's a hint. Don't ever try to help God out. Okay? Participate in what he's doing. He doesn't need your help. Okay? Again, participate in what he's doing, but he don't need you to come up with the plan. Because immediately she says, I know what we'll do. We'll trick the old blind man. While he's hunting, you go put on Esau's clothes and put skins of animals on your arms because he's hairy and you're smooth. And I'm going to make it, I'm going to cook some lamb to make it taste like venison. And we're going to go deceive your father so he will speak the blessing over you. God didn't need deception to be the purveyor of covenant. But sometimes God can unwrap the mess even that you've created. And they deceive his father. And it makes Esau so angry that one, his mother deceived him, his brother deceived him. It makes him so angry that he says this, Dad's acting like he's dying. When he dies, I'm killing Jacob. The one thing you have to remember, Amy, you can get ready and come get ready to play me something here in a little bit. I've got a couple other points I've got to make. When we use weapons like deception to feel like we're enhancing what God needs to do in our lives, it always comes with a cost. She, she got her youngest son the blessing. But do you know that from that day forward he never saw his mother again? Because he had to flee to his uncle's house. It broke relationship that they should have had for an extended period of time. See, there's always a cost to our deception. There's always something that is going to end up costing us more than we want to pay when we alter or try to alter the plan of God. He gets to his uncle's house and finds out there's people that can deceive just as good as me. Remember the deceiver got deceived? He wanted the young, pretty daughter. Worked seven years to get her. Got the less attractive older daughter. Then had to work seven more years. Hmm. See, all of a sudden, 
God begins to perfect character. And he sees what deception really causes. Pain, because now he's the one that's been deceived. And all of a sudden, God starts bringing the sissy boy to a new level. Yeah. Pastor, you shouldn't call people that. You didn't grow up at the Pleasance. <laughs> Did they, D? <Dee? laughs> Sissy boy is nice. That's nice talk, isn't it, D? <laughs> but the sissy boy started to turn into something from within. It just wasn't perfected yet. You know what was missing? A God encounter. See, the sissy that was afraid of everything started having courage come to the surface. Now, I'm not telling you everybody's got to lift weights and you know, have muscles on, on top of muscles. I'm asking you, if you have a choice of strength, have strength of character before you have strength in your muscles. Because your character will make you a mighty man of God no matter what your stature is. Because here's the key to all conflict. Eventually... You don't want to hear this. It's really simple. But here's the truth of all conflict. Eventually, you got to face it. You got to pay the piper. You got to dance till the music stops. He says, I got to go back home and face my brother. And wouldn't it be wonderful? You can play something lightly just in case I get preaching for a long time. See, it. You, you could see God doing something with him. It's just not yet finished. He says, I got to go face my brother. And wouldn't you like it if God took your good intentions and took the imagination in your mind and made everybody else believe what you're thinking? Wouldn't that be wonderful? It very rarely ever works out that way. I'm going to tell you the truth. Because here's a guy that's saying, I'm going to make it right. Shouldn't God honor that? Here's what he hears. Your brother heard you were coming. He's got 400 men of war coming towards you. Here's where you start to see the sissy boy is dying and the man of courage is arising because he hears there's 400 men of war coming at him and he looks around and all he's got is shepherds, but he keeps walking. See, a lot of times you get a moment with God where He says, face the moment. I'm going with you. And then you make a good intention. You come to the altar. You pour it all out. And then you get in your car and you get a bad report. Like, oh, the devil didn't run? No, he's coming. Oh, well, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Let, let me negotiate. No, don't negotiate. Just keep walking. Because if you will trust in a God that is capable of being Abraham, the God of covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if he's that God, then he's going to have to take care of Esau before I get there. And he starts to travel and they get one day away from each other. Matter of fact, it's going to be the next morning. And he says, okay... You stay here. I'm going to strategically... Hey, man, there's nothing wrong with strategic thinking. You stay here. Then I'm going to put a few more of my family here. But then I'm going to go over here by myself because i got to get along with God. Always a wonderful recipe. Everybody wants to stay with the crowd. 
so you can grab hands. Where two or three are gathered, hey, there's strength in that. I'm not diminishing it. But sometimes when you're dealing with conflict that's on the inside of you, you've got to do it all by yourself. You can't have the assistance of everybody else. And you've got to just stand there and say, I've got to get over here with my God because I don't know how I'm going to do that thing with 400 guys with weapons coming after me. So I've got to get with the only one that I know because I looked at my shepherds. I know they can't win. And he gets over there and he has this wrestling match with God. The sissy boy, deceiver, becomes a fighter. And then nobody wants to go through any pain anymore. If you're, if you're strong enough to go through some pain, you can have some incredible experiences with God. Okay? Because he starts to wrestle, understands that this isn't a man, that it is an encounter with an almighty God. And God breaks his hip, knocks it out of socket. It's never healed. He walks with a limp for the rest of his life. Because remember the oldest son? He couldn't even go a day without eating a bowl of beans. And he was willing to sell everything. But now God was perfecting a man of character and strength and and what used to be a sissy. And now he's coming to the surface. And he said, my hip is out of socket and it hurts like the dickens. I had to edit that thing. That thing almost flew out. Woo! I'd have lost the ministry right there. But one thing I know, I'm not stopping this fight. Because if I stop this fight now, I'll get killed in the morning. So I'm holding on until I receive something different. Because I'm in a moment with God that can be transformational. And he holds on and the, and the angel says, let go of me, the dawn is... And he said, I won't let go of you until you bless me. He said, if you want a blessing, here it is. You're no longer Jacob the deceiver, but you're Israel, the prince of God. Or, I like this interpretation better, God has prevailed. I preached that not long ago. God prevailed over your deception. God prevailed over your, your, your shortcomings. God prevailed over, over your sissiness. God prevailed over everything else. He got you from where you are to this moment. And then he prevailed over all of it and prepared you from that day forward. He does no longer lives as a deceiver, but lives up to the name that God just gave him. Now here's the deal. Esau's still coming. See, one encounter with God can change everything. And I'm going to come back for the altar service and mention something that should tear all of our hearts out. But I'm not there yet. The Bible says that he went to meet his brother Esau. And you know what the Bible says happened? David, it says that Esau saw his brother and ran to him and kissed him and hugged him. The last time that they saw each other, he said he was going to kill him. See, when you have a God encounter, it can even change the hearts of people around you. We're going to do something that's going to last one minute and 27 seconds. I know because it's timed. It's called a spoken word. And it's about wounds, victims, hurts, accumulation of people that have had a past. Joe, would you play that for us? Tattered, torn, scattered, scorned, thrusted into chaos the day I was born. Just a misfit, destined to be a statistic, 
shattered, but what does it matter? They want me to be in sync with the pattern of a victim, perpetually positioned in a self-envisioned prison, frozen, imprisoned by our past. We don't ever get the present tense. It's evident we are ships with no sail to catch the wind. And we heard about God, but don't think he could let us in. Because our whole life, the world shut us out. And love is foreign towards us. We don't understand, so we doubt. But God changes everything. The pain, it settles, and we don't remain as the abused adolescent or confused with depression and used as a weapon of self-destruction. His grace conducts a better scene because God changes everything. Hurt to healing, shame to salvation. They said victory is something we would never see, but God changes everything. Amy was led to sing a song, and it's called When He Walks Into the Room. The saddest part about this sermon is the difference between Jacob and Esau was not their flaws. I look through the pages of this Bible and I cannot find one recorded encounter that Esau has with God. Transformation happened in his brother because he had an encounter with God. See, some of you, it's very simple. All you need to overcome things that you've participated in in your yesterday is to have one encounter with God because He changes everything. You have felt like that spoken word that you are disqualified because of what you participated in back then. But what you do not understand is if God could use a man with such flawed character as Jacob and make a man of integrity, you may never bench press 200 pounds. But I'm telling you, you are standing and sitting among giants today. You've got men and women of character that will stand in the face of the enemy and declare the truth of the power of the gospel without flinching even when it costs them pain. See, I believe this is more than a song. I believe he's going to walk in this room. It's up to you what you're going to do with the encounter. Let's let them see it. Will you stand to your feet? There's chapters written about David Pleasant's life that I can't go undo. I can't go back to when I was 19 and made some unwise decisions. I can't do that. But I found a hope in Christ that allows me to live facing my future instead of broken and debilitated by my past. And in doing so, I have tried for a long time to live 
with righteous character. Not perfect because I'm not. I fall short many, many times. But should the Lord tarry and the end of my days come, I don't want my kids to have to say, you know what, my dad, he got forgiven of his sins and he went to heaven. But he really never really, other than that one moment of salvation, he never really had an encounter with God that changed his character and changed him. See, I can't never be a man that is without flaw. But I can live with a reputation like Jacob that I've had to walk with limps before. But I've had encounters along the way with God that when I got in the presence of God, He changed everything. Now, sometimes it didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out and I had to trust in His wisdom more than mine and sometimes I had to just trust and then sometimes doors opened that I didn't even know existed. But there is a... I want to have a reputation that this man took advantage of every encounter with God. So I'm not asking you to stay for an hour. I'm just asking you to stay for a verse of this song. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute? Eyes for a minute. Eyes for a minute. Eyes for a minute.